Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Becker's Healthcare Podcast Series. I'm Brian Zimmerman, Senior Director, Client Content Strategy with Becker's Hospital Review. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Linda Corley. Linda is the Chief Compliance Officer at Extend Healthcare. She's Extend's Senior Leader in the areas of Compliance and Reimbursement Consulting Services. Linda has more than 25 years of experience working directly for or with hospitals in the areas of patient financial services, health information management, and accounting. Linda holds an MBA and is credentialed as an AAPC Certified Professional Coder. She is also an HFMA Certified Revenue Cycle Representative and a published author on patient financial services and other revenue cycle topics. Linda, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It is good to be here. Excellent. So to start off here, I'm, I'm wondering if you can give our listeners that 50,000 foot view of where most providers are with regards to the No Surprises Act. What's working? What's not? Certainly. Um, I think it's interesting that six weeks in or a little over six weeks, most providers are moving forward with uh, adopting the varied requirements for both emergent and non-emergent services. And I think we are all realizing that because the regulations or the requirements themselves are so varied that we are looking at adopting changes in both the tasks that are being carried out and then patient information workflows throughout the revenue cycle, I think, are being affected. All providers, as I mentioned, are working very conscientiously simply to adopt the additional steps, as we refer to them, to ensure guidelines are being followed But it is a substantial uh, undertaking when we start talking about all of the varied, and I apologize, I continue to use that word, but but that's what stays in my mind. Because the guidelines are very detailed, uh, because the areas of the revenue cycle that are being affected are all along the cycle itself. Uh, We are all working toward revenue integrity, of course, but ensuring the No Surprises Act is being met with compliant processes. When we look at the number of access points for our patients, I think we immediately understand uh, for scheduled services, there are new tasks to be carried out. And even though the basic requirements of the regulations remain the same, depending on the location, depending on the type of outpatient service, Uh, that may be provided. Uh, All of these areas of scheduling, patient eligibility, certainly understanding financial counseling, all of those are being affected and making sure that we are arriving at an accurate determination of a patient's either in-network or out-of-network plan coverage for non-emergent care, I think has taken on Uh, a a new importance for all of us. When you mentioned what is working, I think written process steps, as all of us encounter on a daily basis, it's very difficult to bring a patient into specific services or care without having a very well-supported plan for interaction with that patient so all the necessary information is gathered. I'm seeing some of our hospitals, our health systems, not only having written process steps, 
but actually forming those into decision trees. So as the, the patient access representative works through the No uh, Surprises Act, what the requirements are, they have a very uh, well-supported plan to make sure not only is the information gathered, but it is recorded in a way that is going to be easily usable by someone else within the revenue cycle. I am seeing lots of explanatory scripts for interactions with our patients. And I think a couple of our hospitals have simply said, in addition to the training being provided, we simply have what we are calling a decision maker available by telephone at all times to review and to work with those patients that may have a specific issue or asking a question that we have not encountered before. So I think all of these efforts are being brought together so that the No Surprises Act is being um, supported with good procedures. Um, what has not worked, a couple of hospitals have said to me, you know, we thought we could do very specific training in different areas, but I believe they are finding, or all of us in the provider space are finding that the more training, general training at first, and then specific to the job role, the more training that can be provided, the more providers are being successful with um, complying with the requirements, as I mentioned. I think understanding one hospital I was talking to just this week, they are looking at their patient payment policies and procedures, because as we all know, understanding what the patient responsibility is going to be it is one of the first, um, I would say, data elements or pieces of information that is necessary. Um, so I'm back to making sure that well-laid plan of either scripts or information needed so that there is a, a very purposeful interaction or conversation with that patient, particularly as services are being scheduled for non-emergent care. Thank you so much for, for walking us through that, Linda. Um, you know, it sounds like a lot of the folks you're, you're working with have really rolled up their sleeves and, and done some really good work here. There's some, still some challenges involved. And as you, as you mentioned, sort of the, the intricacies that No Surprises Act, unpacking it can be a little bit confusing. So I think um, with my next couple of questions, I just want to ask for some specifics. I guess specifically then, which patients must be provided sort of that written good faith estimate? And the, the follow-up question there, the, the, the second part of this question, can a patient dispute the estimate after the services have been provided? Can you, can you shed some light on that question? Yes, I will do my best. It was surprising to me when I, I think in the interim rule two that was published uh, for non-emergent services or care, all self-pay patients and those patients who choose not to file on their insurance coverage, there are several requirements from the No Surprises Act. And I will just mention, I get a lot of questions about why would a particular patient decide not to file on their insurance? And I'll go all the way back to when HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, when it was passed, it said to patients, 
if you decide for whatever reason you don't want to file on your particular insurance coverage plan, uh, you do have the freedom to make that decision. So while probably over the years, I've not asked a lot of patients why they don't want to file, but I do think we, we encounter those patients for whatever reason, they simply want to have a self-pay account. So as I mentioned, a little bit surprising to find that um, as a requirement under the No Surprises Act, but when we are looking at non-emergency care, thinking about, first of all, we must provide a notice to that particular patient that they are self-pay or what we would call they are out of network. Um, and then I think secondly, notifying that particular patient that uh, their charges probably will not count toward cost sharing, I think is very important. And then that third step down we see by the act is that a good faith estimate must be provided for expected charges. Um, and again, very detailed under the regulation, that good faith estimate must include all related services to the hospital or outpatient care or for the services that are being scheduled. Um, this is a little bit of a hurdle, I think, for most providers, uh, you know, to, to really get over understanding if I'm scheduling an outpatient surgery, let's say, in my good faith estimate, I need to include not only my facility or what generally we call technical charges, I also must include uh, the cost of anesthesia, not only uh, for the hospital or the outpatient surgery, but also for my professional charges uh, for anesthesia. Certainly, um, the act refers to the hospital scheduling the care as the convening hospital, which I think that means we are bringing all of the services together. So we, the provider that is scheduling the care, uh, are responsible for making sure that we've included additional professional charges. Uh, I saw an estimate just yesterday that included the cost of the device for a hip replacement. So I think this is a new look for those of us who have been involved in charge estimation or what we call price transparency. Uh, but I think simply understanding where the information is going to be gathered, who is going to be responsible for preparing that good faith estimate. And again, I'm back to having a well-documented process so that we don't leave out uh, any of the charges that are related and should be included. Um, a little bit of, of good news is that the Secretary of Health and Human Services has noted this initial year of the No Surprises Act, hospitals or providers will not be actively reviewed to determine did that good faith estimate include uh, everything that should have been there. So we have a little bit of leeway, but I think simply bringing all of these procedures together, making sure that we understand not only when the good faith estimate is to be provided, but the importance 
of the data or the information, which I guess is the importance of the charges being included um, is of the utmost importance to us. And yes, as you ask, uh, the act does contain a provision for what is first called patient provider dispute resolution, but then it's also referred to as select, S-E-L-E-C-T, dispute resolution. So I think uh, the purpose of including a patient provider dispute resolution it is simply to let us understand uh, the seriousness of working on the good faith estimate and making sure that we are explaining those charges to our patients who are being scheduled for care. Um, and then we do have the information. And again, I will admit to you a little bit surprising to me that when a patient receives a good faith estimate and then is billed for an amount substantially in excess. Now, here's the part that's surprising to me. That amount is greater than $400 than the estimate, then the patient may file for external review of how the good faith estimate was prepared. Um, we don't have a lot of information yet regarding on the resolution of that patient provider dispute, but I think simply keeping in mind when I look at uh, the particular requirements, not only as I mentioned for the good faith estimate itself, but the other information that we are to be providing to that out of network patient um, as far as obtaining consent for out of network care or what we have referred to in the past as balance billing because the patient is self-pay or is choosing not to file on their insurance coverage. I think we put all of those requirements together and see that having a well-laid plan or process for just as we talked about in the beginning, determining whether or not that particular patient is out of network and then being able to follow perhaps a decision tree that says, if the patient responds in a particular way, this should be our next step in making sure that we are complying with the requirements for the No Surprises Act. Um, I think we still need experience with the patient provider dispute process, just as many of, of the, um, the guidelines or uh, the processes that are set out uh, within the No Surprises Act. I think experience will teach us, of course, more and more about how these requirements are going to unfold. But I am hearing and seeing lots of preparation by providers, both large and small, to understand, do we have our procedures in place? First of all, have we trained well enough so that our team members understand what is necessary and then are we following up perhaps? Uh, one of our health systems just discussed with me last week, not only now are they providing that good faith estimate, but after the patient has received care and certainly the claim is reviewed for charges and for what the patient responsibility will be, 
based on eligibility and the care that they received, how well are they or how accurate are they being with their good faith estimates? And I truly think that's the question that needs to be asked after we have prepared the estimate, the patient has been provided the care, are we following up to see, did our good faith estimate accurately represent not only the services to be provided, but the charges that we included on that estimate to be sure that we have not only uh, outpatient hospital charges, let's say, but professional, supplies, anesthesia, all of the related charges that the act refers us to. Linda, thank you so much for shedding so much light on this topic so far. I have a quick follow-up for you here, which is that it really sounds like a lot of hard work's being done, a lot of learning is being done by, by so many of the, the providers you work with. I'm curious if you think about like maybe the leeway that's being provided on sort of how these good faith estimates are being reviewed or sort of how the, the question marks that remain around how resolution is going to happen around a, sort of a patient dispute. Do you think that if folks really aren't doing that work, that, that heavy learning work right now that a lot of the organizations you, you partner with are doing, if they're not doing that right now, are they eventually going to get kind of left behind here as some of these question marks and, and, and things, the leeway sort of shrinks and some of the resolution, all this stuff all becomes a little bit clearer. Are they going to get left behind as, as this law and how it's enacted, it gets more solidified? Yes, uh, Brian, I completely agree with you that you know, we had all of 2021 um, and many providers um, really made an effort to understand the No Surprises Act and began um, not only training, but, but putting appropriate processes or procedures in place. And I think those that have spent um, the most time making sure that if I'm in a different outpatient location, do I understand the, the general interaction that takes place with a patient who is being scheduled? Um, and and I've, I've not talked a lot, a lot of, or any, I guess, about emergency care, which we know is completely different, but, but simply I think your question uh, just focuses on, we now know the No Surprises Act, is law, we do have the two interim rules. And I think as we have gone along throughout 2021, uh, and even a little bit of new information for 2022, I think the process has to be not only perhaps uh, attacked with understanding of where, uh, where do we want to be, in order to meet all of these guidelines, but, but simply also almost reviewed on a daily basis. And I think some of our um, hospitals are reporting, they have a huddle, you know, we're back to, can we all get on a call or a meeting or however we want to carry out that communication, but are we looking at, are our plans, our procedures, are, the, are they meeting what they need to for the patients themselves? Because after all, every provider that I know has that patient's care as their number one responsibility. So while we are talking about 
scheduling and eligibility and financial counseling and all of these true revenue cycle processes. After all, we are putting those in place for our patients to be more comfortable with what their care is going to cost. And I think that's important to all providers. Certainly, we need to be paid for the services or the care being provided. But I think simply understanding, yes, we do have this new law going into effect on January 1 of this year. We are uh, almost growing our procedures into our specific patient population uh, as I mentioned, the outpatient areas that we are providing services and care in. And I think your question is well-founded in that because this is so new, we simply have to learn as we go along. Um, I think it is valid to say, uh, you know, if I am a provider and I am not, uh, you know, fairly well along with uh, placing new tasks, in my patient access processes or simply looking at making sure that we are complying with the good faith estimates with consents if we want to go in that particular direction. There is so much information contained that now we as a provider are responsible for what I call capturing up front so that we are having that communication or discuss, discussion with the patient. And not only is it accurate, you know, but does it portray or does it show our understanding of, yes, we want to provide this care to you and we are going to do everything possible to ensure that you understand what is being asked of you from the patient responsibility area and then how we are going to meet your medical needs or clinical needs, even though we have new information that we are gathering. Does that help? Yep, absolutely. And, and another clarification question for you, uh, Linda, which very simply, does the, the Federal No Surprises Act override any state balance billing law? Um, as far as I know, and this question again is still being asked, um, it does not. Uh, I think we have about 17 states that already had comprehensive billing requirements in place for out-of-network care at the time the federal regulation was passed. So the federal um, guidance is that the federal will defer to state rules on establishing payment amounts, even if that particular state already has a payment standard in place. Now, as you know, I am not an attorney. I'm a reimbursement person. But the way I understand it is that a state law, if it is there requiring a certain payment amount, almost like I would consider a fee schedule, we still need to have in place these safeguards that the No Surprises Act uh, does put into place, but we are going to combine our state requirements if there's a payment standard there, along with the federal requirements, we are simply not going to adhere to uh, the qualifying payment amount as the federal legislation describes it. 
uh, or defines it, I would say. So I think we have worked with several states who are looking at certainly uh, the federal requirements, but also making sure that whatever state requirements may be applicable to their particular locations, that those are being addressed as well which I will say to you from my reimbursement standpoint, that does complicate payment just a little bit. But, but I think it's, it's a good question for any location, any provider to be asking so that as we are working through these procedures, these processes that I keep mentioning to you, that we have incorporated uh, any state payment standard is what I keep referring to, and then actually the federal guidelines to be sure that the patient is receiving proper notification and is giving consent if they do want to receive out-of-network care. Appreciate that so much, Linda. And I, I want to I sort of come back to something you touched on in the, in the first question I asked you. And the topic that, that came up was, was training. Um, in, at a basic level, it sort of sounds like you know, the more training, the, the better they're sort of able to, per, to perform and, and execute on good faith estimates and, and other aspects of, of the legislation. Can you talk more about that? And, and, you know, how should compliance with the legislation, I guess, really influence the approach to provider and staff training? The first thing I would say to you is that I think so many providers, particularly some of our larger health systems, at first, our discussions uh, were around educating uh, revenue cycle team members. Uh, you know, we talked about where in the revenue cycle is it going to be appropriate when we are looking at services being provided or simply understanding what job roles, I think is the question that we were asking, uh, what job roles are going to be affected by the No Surprises Act. And then almost as a secondary question, we started asking about physician or professional team members being trained. Um, and it has surprised me a little bit that um, certainly training for those professional team members has grown in, in importance because as you know, whatever process we work through uh, for ensuring a scheduled service um, is available to a patient, that discussion is then going to be held sometimes with the physician uh, or the, the other prof professional provider uh, themselves. So while we started, I think, with let's make sure those of us in the revenue cycle are educated or trained or understand what's required. I think we very quickly moved on to, oh, our physicians, certainly any licensed provider uh, that with whom we are working, uh, education is just the most important concept, I believe, as far as being compliant with the No Surprises Act, um, particularly since I've, I've just listened to some recordings of patients being scheduled, and, and I think there's been enough publication uh, regarding the No Surprises Act that some patients now have the understanding or the idea that there should be no 
patient responsibility. And of course, we know that for emergent care, it will be in-network payment that is being made, but yes, there still will be a patient responsibility. And for our non-emergent or scheduled care, yes, there will be a patient responsibility amount. So I think as you're asking about training, there are so many different reasons for not only holding that training on the No Surprises Act, but they become more important when we look at, we certainly want to provide the care, as I mentioned, but we also want to meet that patient wherever they may be in their understanding of what their patient responsibility is going to be. And I'm seeing more emphasis on that um, as we are training. And of course, just as you mentioned, we are still in this almost introductory phase of making sure we are complying with the No Surprises Act. I think uh, we've uncovered tasks simply as uh, revenue cycle job roles or job descriptions should be updated with the specific requirements, or I'll go back to those steps that I've mentioned to you. Have we included those? Um, understanding that daily huddle that I mentioned to you so that for our particular patient population, we are understanding what is important to our patients? What are we looking at that should be addressed each time we do schedule uh, outpatient care? I just think successful adherence to the No Surprises Act is possible, but it is not possible without, just as you mentioned, a lot of attention to the details that are required in those patient interactions. Um, as we know, communication is so important with any uh, patient interaction, but I think communication more or less focused on what the patient's questions may be and understanding their concerns. I, I just think that's where not only are we complying with the act, we are meeting our patient needs, and we truly are establishing a patient-provider relationship that is important to us. We've walked through a good bit. I really appreciate you unpacking this with, with me today for our listeners. One final question for, for you, Linda, before I let you go here, which is, what's next for the No Surprises Act? What should our listeners out there be keeping an eye on? Well, I can tell you the question I am asked most often. Providers are concerned about the payment being based on the median contracted rate for a particular payer. And they are asking if this is an insurance plan or payer with whom we do not generally have contact or treat their patients, how are we, the provider, going to know whether my payment is appropriate? And um, that's when I have to kind of scratch my head and say, I think only time will tell us our experience. Certainly, those of us who are providers understand cost and that whatever our charges may be, we want that payment to return 
at least what it has cost us to provide that service. Now, certainly we want more, but at least the cost. So I'm thinking this, this is a, a journey almost, and I know that sounds kind of trite, but, but looking at how far we have come here in the middle of February with understanding the procedures that must be in place, now as we begin filing our claims to that out-of-network provider that is being instructed to process and pay um, for emergency care at the in-network reimbursement and simply evaluating uh, what payments are being received. I think that's next just about it in everyone's mind. How are we going to continue certainly making sure our processes or procedures are in place for compliance, but then analyzing the payments being received to ensure that we are doing everything that's required, but we are also receiving or getting back those payments that are so important to us so that we can continue to provide care. I think preparation has been important. And I think as we go along, just as you ask about Brian, understanding where we are in those procedures, filing claims, analyzing or reviewing the payments coming back, and then making sure that as new information comes along about the No Surprises Act, are we all communicating well about not only what is required, but what are our successes? How are we understanding if there are areas in which we can improve? Um, I just think getting to uh, you know, an accurate determination of out of network or in network, understanding the type of care that is going to be provided or has been provided. And then as we go forward, making sure that we are understanding the payments that are being received uh, for these new services, I think is what's important. I do get questions about uh, just, I think a week or two weeks ago, we found out that if a particular health system or hospital has hospital-based dental and optometry services, we should be providing these same good faith estimates for self-pay patients. Um, that was new to all of us, I believe. So I, I think your question is simply keeping an eye on developments that are coming along. You know, I, I appreciate organizations like yourself so we can share information. We can learn from other providers. And, and I think simply continuing to ask those questions, uh, updating our training, as we find out what is successful for our particular patients, um, and then simply evaluating, as I've mentioned. Uh, it, it certainly is a process to not only ensure compliance, but then make, you know, simply making sure that our patient responsibility that is being uh, asked of that patient is so important that we understand, are we accurate? We definitely really appreciate you coming on and sharing it with our listeners. I know it's valued. So I uh, greatly appreciate your time, Linda. You are welcome. Thank you. I'd also like to thank Extend Healthcare for sponsoring this episode. 
For more information on the No Surprises Act, please tune into our upcoming webinar, also sponsored by Extend Healthcare, on February 22nd at 12 p.m. Central Time. You can also tune into more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page.